You're listening to Fueling the Future of Transport, hosted by Tammy Klein, the founder and CEO of Transport Energy Strategies. We'll talk all about the fuels and energy it takes to keep the world moving forward. On our last show, I talked with Daniel Sperling, who not only founded the Institute of Transportation Studies at UC Davis, but is also a board member of the California Air Resources Board. If you haven't listened, I encourage you to go back to the first episode and hear all his insights on the three revolutions. Here's the remainder of his interview, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So let me turn to another topic and ask you about um, the low carbon fuel standard. So uh, it's been litigated, it's here, it's working. It was, um, uh, I wanna say reissued in in 2018, strengthened, lengthened. Um, What's your outlook? Um, Now some amendments are, are being considered. What's your outlook for where you see the the LCFS going um, in the the next five years? Um, And what do you think should happen in your view? I mean, you know, we see, we're seeing a lot of um, scale up of um, electrification generating credits. Um, We see a lot of HVO or renewable diesel plants that are coming. We see a lot of renewable natural gas. Um, in in the state, you know, how do you feel about all that, and what's what's your outlook? So what would me, you like to see happen? Okay, so I, I have the exact answers for you, but let me, <laughs> and and you'll hear it first here because a lot there's not been much public discussion of it, so I will. But let me give just a tiny bit of history and explanation for you know for listeners, and that Please is. <clears throat> It was first adopted in 2009 in California. It's been subsequently adopted in Oregon, uh, just recently Washington, British Columbia. The country of Canada is adopting it. You know, they others sometimes call it a clean fuel standard. You know, they're kind of wimpy. You know, they're afraid to use the word carbon, or at least they used to. Uh, but uh, so it got started in 2009, and at first. You know, it went through a period where I called it the unloved child. There was, it was definitely no, unloved. It was definitely <laughs> unloved. There were lawsuits. <clears throat> the ethanol industry filed lawsuits, didn't like it. The oil industry didn't like it. The only ones that liked it were the advanced biofuel companies. And yes. there were very, very few of those. Yes, yes. I remember. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, but it's made a big comeback since then. In fact, I heard three or four years ago, I was, there was a vice president from uh, the the natural gas utility companies in uh, California said, this is the best policy California ever (laughs) adopted. (laughs) And in a moment, we'll describe why that person said that. But, and so it's really become one of the most popular supported uh, policies uh, in many of these states. Uh, and that's because it kind of has something for everyone. So the, as I said, so the natural gas utilities like it because they're being pressured to give up on fossil gas. So yeah. they need something. So the biogas, renewable natural gas is a good alternative for them. Uh, the electric utilities get credit for electricity. They sell to electric vehicles. Um, 
even the oil companies see some advantage of, of it because we give credits for them doing carbon capture and sequestration. We give credits if they use innovative uh, processes upstream, like they use solar energy in the oil fields, they get credit. Uh, and then we also gave credits, uh, early credits for hydrogen stations. So those that want to invest in hydrogen stations. So, you know, there's a lot and the car companies like it because we bundled some of the credits together to be a rebate to buyers of electric vehicles. So it's really become a very popular policy. It's got a lot, you know, I, it was kind of my politics 101 uh, lesson that, you know, you need to create a lot of good constituencies, yeah. uh, economic constituencies and political constituencies. And that's what LCF has. Mission done. accomplished. Yes, absolutely. Mission accomplished. Mm -hmm. So now going forward, so the credit, so it has tradable credits, you know, so when oil, the regulated party is the oil refinery. So if they can't or don't want to meet the requirement, which is, you know, the requirements are you have to reduce the carbon intensity of the fuel you sell. If they can't or don't want to do it, they can buy credits from someone else. And so they've been, the credit price has been, was up to $200 a ton of carbon, which is really high. And it really has played a huge role in motivating companies to invest in renewable energy, to innovate. And it's had a, you know, a very positive effect. And not only just with new uh, investments, it's like oil sands companies you know, figured out ways to just be more efficient and reduce their carbon footprint, oil companies. So it's really had a far-reaching effect you know, across the energy industries. But now what's happening is there's a lot of electric vehicles starting to be sold. Yeah. That generates more credits. There's come, some of the oil companies are converting their oil refineries to make renewable diesel fuel. And that's generating a lot of credit. So it's pushed the price down close to $100. And the investment community is, is you know, quite free. Uh, I mean, I would use the word freaking out. They're really, you know, and I've been talking to a lot of investors uh, about this. And, you know, another constituency is Wall Street investors. The banks, yeah. yeah the banks. Mm -hmm. um, and who knew, right? Yeah. So um, they're really concerned because, you know, they need those incentives to justify making these new investments. And I would point out none of this is government money. None of this. So this is a case. There's no taxpayer money, no government money. And it's, it's you know, it, it's a beautiful policy in that sense. So now um, CARB is, you know, we're realizing there's a problem. We need to fix it up somehow. So just to be, you know, real brief, um, CARB is going to start a, we're going to have our first workshop in about a month, month and a half to start the process of amending it. And basically what we're going to do almost for sure is greatly increase the carbon intensity requirement that basically it's a performance standard. So right now it says 20% reduction in carbon intensity by 2030. We're going to make that much, much higher and force much more uh, innovation and investment. And then we're going to clean it up a lot. Some, you know, we have little things, you know, in the beginning, we were desperate to get any credit, you know, 
any yeah. fuels, low carbon fuels we could. Yeah. But now it's yeah. happening. We don't, we can clean it up. So I remember uh, John Curtis used to, used to ask me because I used to track a lot of the, the, like cellulosic ethanol, is anything coming? Is anything coming? Is anything coming? And I'm like, well, not imminently. No, (laughs) you know, like there was just this looking for sources and sources and sources. And, um, in the early years of the LCFS, it was like you say, it was, it was, it was tough. It was, it was a little tough. And, you know, the one thing it, LCFS has not achieved is it really hasn't motivated a lot of investment in cellulosic fuels, but I think we're right on the cusp of that happening. And so that's why these new changes, I think really will finally, you know, push, pull more money uh, into the advanced biofuels and the cellulosic, uh, but no other policy is doing it. So I, you know, I used to talk to the oil companies a lot and they said, well, if we have to have a climate policy, the LCFS is as good as it gets. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I think that's kind of the case, you know, about seven or eight years ago when we launched it, I did a tour. Actually, I did a debate with an Exxon guy about the LCFS, went around the country and, you know, at the end of it, I would always, you know, people would always criticize it. And I'd always say, okay. What's better? And I have to say, in all those public talks, all those interactions with com- oil companies, NGOs, no one ever came up with a better policy. So I'm sticking with it. <laughs> That's your story, and you're sticking with it. <laughs> exactly. So um, can you talk a little bit more, or is it is it too early to ask? You know, what are we what are we talking about when we're talking about tightening? um, targets, um, you know, uh, in, increasing the, the percentage reduction from 20%. What are we talking here? Are we talking 30? Are we talking 40? Are we talking by 2030? Are we talking by 2040? Um, so I wanted to ask that. And it's, and it's clear to me that you do see, even though you've been a real champion, um, of electrification, you do see a role for, um, for bio biofuels or bio-based fuels to to continue to play a role, some kind of role um, in the fuel pool going forward. So can you talk a little bit more about that too? Well, we definitely need biofuels for aviation. You know, maybe some of the really short flights we can do with electric or hydrogen, but, you know, the cross-country flights, the international flights, you need biofuels, low-carbon biofuels. Um, Probably for maritime, for for ocean shipping, probably need biofuels also. So those are the two areas, and and they represent you know very significant markets. Um, so um, beyond that, you know there is interest in using it in long haul trucks because mm-hmm. you know putting a lot of batteries or a lot of hydrogen into a long haul truck it's expensive and heavy, but in California, I have to say, the law, the regulation we adopted does not allow for biofuels in trucking. Right. But I think other states and other countries will be more lenient on that, I suspect. And so there'll be a market for biofuels and long haul trucking as well. And, and, and then we have all these cars and trucks on the road that are running on gasoline and diesel now for a and they're going to be around a long time. So we'll call them legacy vehicles 
And so we'll need some kind of biofuel. We'll want to have biofuels for them, you know, if we're serious to uh, about, you know, really reducing uh, carbon. You know, in California, we have the the target of net zero carbon in 2045. Yeah. And other, con- you know, uh, the obvious the U.S. will be behind that. Um, many other countries. So we're going to need, we're going to probably need biofuels for many of our cars and trucks for a very long time. So yes, I see a market for it. And I, so with the LCFS, you know, so you ask how we, how much we're going to tighten it. So it's 20%. I'd say, so this is me speaking right Mm -hmm. now, Mm -hmm. um, but me being very informed. And I have talked to uh, many of the key people on this, Mm -hmm. I think at least 25% and and very possibly even likely significantly more than that. Mm-hmm. You know, partly we have to go and sit down and calculate, okay, how many credits going to be generated by all these electric vehicles? How many credits going to be generated by these new renewable diesel refineries and figure out, you know, how much, uh, you know, how, how much of the credits they'll take up and therefore how much should we increase the stringency of the, of the standard. So last question or next to last question, how do you see, we talked about the E earlier in the, in the three revolutions, electric vehicles. How do you see charging developing um, in California um, and in the U.S. over the next 10 years? Is it going to be, you know, there, there are some real, as someone who's, who's working in electrification and on, on charging um, um, herself, I do see some real um, you know, there's some real issues out there in terms of removing the, the, the barriers to get um, charging put into place. So is there going to be enough charging to sort of help consumers get over the hump, um, some of the, the resistance to purchasing an electric vehicle? And, and is there going to be enough to be able to meet targets in California and, you know, in the other states that are following um, ACC too. So how do you see that, that happening any and evolving for charging? And just to make it a little more difficult, it, this is, <laughs> this is for trucks too. We're talking about. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Because we have an act now. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, um, well, California is putting massive amounts of money into infrastructure. You know, the federal, the Biden administration, the one thing it has done in the EV area, it has uh, allocated, awarded quite, is awarding quite a bit of money through the infrastructure bill um, for EVs. But, you know, it's a slow process. So first of all, we don't really even know how to spend that money. You know, how much of it should be subsidy, how much should be the private company, you know, the companies paying for it. And the reality is it's really hard to make money selling electrons to vehicles. You know, the, the, the business case is really weak. And so government money, it, or, or it's not necessarily just government money, it's some kind of subsidies are needed. So there are like, you know, three types of charging. There's home charging, there's workplace charging and public charging. So for the workplace charging, a lot of employers are subsidizing it kind of as a fringe benefit for their employees. Public charging, there's, you know, there is the government money, but there's also like 
at, retail, at shopping malls, you know, the shopping mall will subsidize it, you know, again, as a service to their customers, to attract customers. So we, we do need money to come in from different places to make this work. In the beginning, most of the people buying electric vehicles have their own homes and have a place to charge. And so the early years, it's not quite as critical to have that, that public charging. But as we get deeper into the market, now you have people living in apartments and condos. Now you have people, you know, that are into their second or third car and they don't have space, you know, easy ways of charging at home. And so now it starts becoming really critical. And the reality is it's really slow getting these chargers built. And there's permits and local governments and NIMBYism, you know, all this you know, a lot of challenges getting it done. And so it takes years and that's why, so we have some time, but given, <laughs> given how hard it is, we really need to be doing it quickly. And we need a massive number of public chargers. And it's kind of, Tammy, as you were suggesting, you know, even for people today, uh, for psychological reasons, you need the public chargers out there. Yeah. And yeah. for, you know, the longer distance travel too, you need them out there uh, as well. But, um, but, you know, we are seeing 85 to 90% of the charging by these, uh, you know, initial cars is done at home. So you still think, you think that, um, you know, bar barring some of these issues, you think that they will be worked out over time and that the state will be able to meet its it, its targets or, or come really darn darn close um, as, as time goes on. I mean, we have, what, 12, 13, 13 years. A lot can happen in 13 years. Yeah, there's going to be big challenges with the chargers. You know, there's reliability issues because, you know, what happens now is companies build them, but they're not responsible for... Uh, you know, maintaining them in some cases. So there's been studies done that just show a lot of them are not, you know, anecdotally, anyone that has electric vehicles knows this unless you have a Tesla. So Tesla is kind of a model of how to do it right. Yes. Um, but they did it basically. So in that case, they sub, you know, the company subsidized it. Which was brilliant. Yeah. And it worked well and they do a good job of it. But, the, you know, in these other cases, you know, they're not, you know, the reliability is not there. The accountability is not there. So part of it is the government that's handing out the money has to figure out how to make sure that they are getting reliability and accountability. So there's going to be challenges for sure. And on the consumer side, there's going to be challenges because, you know, the I, I like I'm starting to think, you know, we have a big research team at UC Davis looking mm -hmm. at this and we've kind of come to the conclusion the first 50, 70% is going to be relatively easy. But then, you know, we get to the last 30%. So that's, you know, people that live in apartment buildings, condos, people that are just ideologically opposed, right? I mean, look at, you know- You've got those, yes. Now yes. look at vaccinate. We can't even get people vaccinated. <laughs> yes. are, are we going to get them to buy an electric car? Right, right. So That's true, that's true. So we're going to have to, you know, keep at it. It's not going to get easier uh, over time as we go along here. It's actually going to get harder. 
and to be prepared, be prepared for that. Yeah. Eventuality. Yeah. So my, my real last question is you've worked in the whole broad spectrum of uh, transport energy. We didn't even get to some of the things that you you've, you've done in the past things that you're, you're involved in now. But the question I want to ask you is what's, what excites you about this um, space, you know, transport energy in in general, Um, you know, what really, you know, kind of gets you out of the, out of bed in the morning and gets you, you know, kind of gets you going. You've seen so much and you've done so much. What's, what's exciting. What's happening about what's happening right now. You know, I've been doing this for 40 years and this is the most exciting time in that whole period. You know, I tell my grad students, they're so fortunate they're coming into it just at the right time because I mean, one, there's a recognition that change is needed. You know, the car centric, you know, model model that we've developed. I talked about the marginalization of people, environmental justice, social justice, people, you know, starting to appreciate how important that is to deal with it. And then, you know, the big kahuna climate. Mm-hmm. And then you have on top of that, you have all of this innovation and new technology coming along, you know, that's the three revolutions. That's what motivated me to write that book. Mm-hmm. And, and so this is the time, this is it. And, and now, you know, for me personally, I'm having more impact uh, than I ever did, mm-hmm. you know, just because, you know, my first 20 years, no one really even cared about what I was doing, working with <laughs> fuels, you know, um, you were talking about your former boss, Fred mm-hmm. Potter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were kind of whistling in the wilderness for those years, many, That's many right. years. He was a big proponent of cleaner, cleaner fuels, um, yeah. as, as was I. I think he'd be stunned at what was what's happening now. Yeah. And, and now it's so this is the time um, I have. There's a guy that works with me. He's 91 years old. He's worked on electric vehicles and batteries his whole life. He says the same thing. Oh, he my says, gosh. This is. This is the best time ever. He says, I can't retire. <laughs> He's still writing papers, <laughs> mentoring students. This is it right now. You know, I think what you're saying is really, really true, just to to, to conclude, because, um, you know, in my career, it's like, okay, I, you know, when I first started my consultancy, I was like, well, you know, I really don't have a, a niche because I did, you know, a lot of work on improving um, fuel quality, sulfur reduction, lead phase out. Um, RFG, you know, oxygenate usage. And then I kind of did a lot of work on alternative fuels when no one really cared about alternative fuels. <laughs> um, and then, and then biofuels. And I, you know, when I first kind of was starting, I was like, I've got this disparate um, background, but no, I think it's been, an, you know, I think it's really, I kind of realized over time, no, it's enriching because I've had these different um, experiences you know, working with countries, working with with different clients on these different topics, and you need that. Um, it's helpful to have a broad base of things that were done in the past that maybe, well, a lot of times didn't work, <laughs> and then in, and then bridging into, 
you know, these, these newer, um, you know, this new realm that we're in with, with electrification and, and hydrogen, these all fuels that you didn't think were going to go anywhere, um, you know, in the late nineties, early two thousands. And now, and now here we are. So, um, I think what you're saying is true. And I think that's what also motivates me is it's like, it's, I'm 50, it's impact time. Let's, let's do this. Let's make this, (laughs) you know, let's make this happen. A lot of the threads are there. We just need to put them together. Well, you know, that small cohort of us that did go through that experience, there's so few of us that have, that remember back, that know the history, that know the lessons learned, what worked, what didn't. And, you know, now here we are. So that's why it, it is really important for, you know, this, a small cohort to, you know, really be active now because, you know, it's kind of like, you know, in organizations, you think about institutional knowledge. Mm-hmm. This is even much broader than that. That's so, right. That's right. Here we go. As I, like to, as I like to joke, I know where some of the bodies are buried. <laughs> yeah. It's important. It's important to know that as gruesome as that may sound. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us uh, today, Dan. It was a great, great pleasure to, to talk with you. And I look forward to kind of, you know, continuing to stay in touch and follow the, the three revolutions work and just what you guys are doing at ITS, which I think is so, um, is, is so great. And, um, yeah, really, really appreciate it. And thanks to everyone, uh, for, for listening. Well, thank you, Tammy. It's been a pleasure. (laughs) Thanks again. You've been listening to fueling the future of transport. This show is hosted and edited by Tammy Klein, produced by Carolyn Schneer and engineered by Alexander Nikolic. To hear more great episodes of this show, learn more and sign up for a free bi-weekly newsletter, visit transportenergystrategies.com.